you. I'm so thankful you're here today. You can be seated. I, I th- this year, so now we're in, we're in March, so we have to, we're not preaching on love in the same sense anymore. January, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was our focus. February, love your neighbor, love others as yourself. That was our focus. In March, I believe our focus, and, and it doesn't roll off the tongue as easy as the other ones, but I want to talk about what it really means to be saved. What is salvation? To break it down, not just to one verse that you always quote, but to see salvation in the greatest, grandest sense that you could ever imagine. And so in doing so, we're going to break it down. We're going to make it simple. I've, I've decided that, that this year, until the Lord tells me otherwise, is I want to take these, these words that we use and we sing about, and I want to understand them. And today, I want to preach, I want to teach on grace. The covenant of grace. You just saw it. I'm going to use a ladder today. Now, just to be fair, I, I forget who it was, but, you know, I use Peter and Paul's sermons all the time when I preach. This latter illustration is shamelessly borrowed from Dr. David Norris at UGST. I asked him if I could, and he said I could. I watched him use this ladder as an illustration, and it began to speak to me. And over the course of the last couple of weeks, it's all I can think about. Grace. So I want to to build my sermon more than even what what he did. But I'm going to use this ladder. So if you see me talk about the ladder, just know I'm not smart enough to come up with that myself. That came from Dr. Norris, and I'm giving him credit, but I told him I'm not going to pay him for it. I'm just going to preach it. What is salvation? How do you answer that question? If someone says, what does it mean to be saved? How do you answer that question? Do you instantly go to a powerful verse, and we use it all the time, Acts 2.38, and and is that salvation? Do we talk about Jesus' words to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Is that salvation? And probably all of those would be good, but what is salvation and why do we need salvation? The need is easy. The need is because Psalms 14 and Psalms 53 and Romans 3 says there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. Now make sure someone said that to you. Don't just look at someone else and call them. Make sure you let someone look at you and say, hey, you're a sinner. Because we've all come short of the glory of God. Now, Brother Mike, have fun following me today. Just, just figure out where I'm at and, and follow. Because I'm going to be all over the place. We'll start in Ephesians chapter 2. And then in a little bit, we'll probably get to uh, Philippians, I think, chapter 2. I won't say every verse. I'm not going to read every word. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it. But that's where... I'm at Ephesians chapter 2, roughly, Brother Mike, around verse 1 through 5. But Ephesians chapter 2 says you, 
Now, when it says that it could be you, it could be me, we, all of us who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's you, it's me who walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, we lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of our body and the mind, and we are by nature the children of wrath. There is no good thing about you and me. I know you think you're all that in a bag of chips, but in God's eyes you ain't. In the grand scheme of this world, you don't have any good side. You don't have any good righteous bone in your body. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's why we need salvation. I, you, we are sinners. Broken and marred by sin. Marred by the flesh. In fact, the Bible takes it so far to says, even if you think you have righteousness, your righteousness is like a filthy rag. It's what Paul would have said and did say in Romans 7. He said, in my flesh there dwells no good thing. I hear the strains of old hymns, and I'm not going to sing them, but I, I hear the bits and pieces for such a worm as I. Or I once was lost in sin. Or I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. I hear the old hymn that says, I was in that miry clay. It's, it's me. That's where I'm at. It's all sin, hopelessly separated from a righteous God. I'm unsaved. I'm separate from God's righteousness. I'm separate from God's covenant. I am lost. If you will allow me to kind of use this ladder today and just assume that the top of the ladder is heaven. We know that our ultimate goal is to go up, right? But I'm not even on the ladder. I'm I'm here. I'm lost. If I could get lower than I am right now, I'd get lower because we start off. We were born in sin and shaping in iniquity. There's nothing good in us. This is where we are. We're not even close to that ladder. We're not even close to climbing up and being in the presence of God. We're standing at the lowest of all lows. We are lost. You, me, we, dead in sin. Lost as lost could be. But then Ephesians 2 verse 4, one of the most powerful transformative scriptures in the Bible. But God. Think about that for a moment. When you were as far from God and His righteousness as you could ever imagine. But God. What that means is in spite of you, in spite of me, no thanks to what you or I have ever done, but God who was rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you and I. And I hear John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. It's there that even when you and I were dead in our trespasses, we are made alive together with Christ. And here is the key, for by grace you are saved. By grace you are saved. And 
were raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places for Christ Jesus. Verse 8, it says, for by grace you are saved through faith. Before you start talking about the Holy Ghost, before you start talking about being baptized in Jesus' name, you better understand the only reason you and I have a chance at salvation. Grace. Grace. What did you say to, to me, Brother O'Daniel? What, what, what's your definition of grace again? God knows all about you yet he's still on your side. When I think about it, that over the last couple of weeks, that's the word that keeps running in my mind. I hear that old song, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. And that's what I go to bed at night thinking about and I wake up in the morning thinking about it. Grace, God's and it's that grace that we are saved through faith. This is the key. God's grace, your faith. Don't get them mixed up. God's grace, your faith. This is not of your doing, the Bible would say. The salvation that you and I have or desire to have, it's not at all of your doing. It's the gift of God. And it's a result, not of works that anyone could boast. How many of you were there Friday night at the at, at camp meeting this last Friday night? Brother Joel Urshan, man, he gets up there preaching and I'm like, hey, stop, you're preaching some of the things I'm going to preach about and they're going to think I'm copying off of you. I had it first. Not really. But, but he... He was preaching, and, 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 and I, I leaned over to somebody, and I said, how come I can read the Bible all these times and still not put verses together? The Bible says in Acts 2.38, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What are the gifts of God? Let me show you the gifts of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. That salvation is God's gift. It's Romans 3.21, and you connect that to Ephesians 2. We're justified by grace. It's the gift of God. It's gift of grace. It's Acts 2.38, the gift of the Spirit. This salvation, we don't deserve it. We don't, it's not really anything about us at all. But God, when all I had was a sin-filled, disobedient life, this God of heaven, this God of creation, this God of all manifested himself into a body that had flesh and blood so that blood, innocent blood, could be shed for all of mankind. I see Calvary. I see that gospel being poured out, that death, that burial, and that resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 22, and let me read it. I'm just kind of getting warmed up. We'll, we'll get to the latter in a moment, but I'm just getting warmed up. I want you to understand the grace of God. That Jesus, that, that He, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, He is the image. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him 
and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, in that everything he might be preeminent. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, me, who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, above reproach before him. Jesus died for you. You didn't deserve it. He didn't die because he, 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 he thought you deserved a second chance. died because he loved you, even when you were dead in trespasses and sin. I hear Paul continuing, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you've received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. It's verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of the deity the, 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 uh, dwelleth bodily. You've been filled in him who's the head of all rule and authority. In Jesus also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you... Here we go back. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. He canceled the record of debt that stood against it with its legal demands. He set it aside and he nailed it to the cross. That's the grace I'm talking about. That covenant of grace. The first covenant. You've got to go all the way back to Abraham. Abraham, God speaks to Abraham, draws him out of where he was. And that one of the parts of the Abrahamic covenant was a mark of circumcision. It was a mark to show you were Abraham's seed, a child of Israel. If I could stretch it further, you were one of God's chosen the Old Testament, as we get through Abraham, begins to almost all center on Abraham's descendants, the children of Israel, the children of God. Moses comes around. The law that God gave Moses was given to help the children of Israel live holy lives. But the issue was that law, we couldn't measure up to it. We were broken fallen humanity. They couldn't measure up to it. It's why Paul wrote in Romans 7, the law is good. But I have no power to do good. That's why that verse in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is so important. And you shall receive power. You don't have a chance to do good until the grace of God fills you then you might have a chance. Paul had an amazing resume. Think about Paul. Paul, he, he, was, he was Hebrew of Hebrews, if you will. He was, I mean, he had a lineage and a legacy where he could have said, I am one of God's most chosen people. I know the scripture. I know the law, inwards and outwards. I got it all. Paul had an incredible resume. 
but he couldn't measure up. And that's why a lot of his writings, he keeps talking about these things. Because if Paul, in all of his earthly resume, couldn't measure up, how do you think little old Brandon's going to measure up? That's why Paul wrote it, and I'm convinced when he wrote it, there were tears streaming down his eyes when he said, but God, who is rich in mercy with his grace, he loved me. Paul was saying, if anybody deserved it, I did, but it doesn't matter. I'm lost. I'm, I'm down at the bottom. I, I, I'm there. You don't deserve the grace. You know that. You and I, we only deserve punishment. We only deserve the wages of sin is death. But the Bible says, by grace ye are saved. Let me talk to you about salvation for a moment. This is where we are, down at the bottom. The very bottom of the bottom of the bottom. We are lost. The goal is there, but this is where we are. There is nothing you can do to get there. Won't you understand this? I'm, I'm being as elemental as I can. I'm being as simple as I can. The only thing that will get you there is God's grace. Oh, but I repented of my sins. I did something. No, you did not. Let me tell you what repentance is. Re the Bible says that it's the gift of God, the, that, that salvation, the gift of God. This grace is the gift of God. How do you accept a gift? Put your hand out. I'll, I'll take that. How would you accept a gift of salvation unless you recognize you're lost? So when you recognize you're lost, the only logical thing to do is say, Jesus, I don't deserve it. You have every right to throw me away. But I'm sorry for what I've done. That's all you can do. But without the grace of God, those are just empty words. Without the grace of God, you can repent and cry and boo-hoo and snot all over an altar all you want, and it ain't going to make a difference. But when you repent, there is a gracious God that looks at you and says, I knew before you said anything what you've been doing, and I love you more than anything in this world. I literally went to hell and back for you. I love you. It's grace, grace, God's grace. I, I know you, you got baptized. You, if you were here, you walked up those stairs and you, you got in the water, and that's great. But without God's grace, all you did was get wet. Now, this is where we go back to Ephesians, and we realize that it's the grace of God and it's our faith. My faith says I believe him. My faith says he's the king of kings. My faith says he died for me. My faith says when I read it in Ephesians, he's talking about me. And that's what allowed me to walk into that water and go down in Jesus' name. But it's the grace of God that washed my sins away. You got the Holy Ghost? You had nothing to do with that. You can't do anything with that. It's the grace of God that he poured himself in you. And so it is that, that you have that. I want to, I if I can, Sister Buford, come help me for a moment. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be kind. How many years ago? Huh? Oh, 
22 years ago in July, we got married. Come here. It's the grace of this beautiful lady that she said yes to someone like me. We stood there, the old flow valley was hot. When were we married? Was it when we looked in each other's eyes and said our vows and our I do? Or, or were we married when the preacher said, I now pronounce you man and wife? Or were we married when the signatures were signed on the marriage license? The answer to all of that is yes. Because you don't just do one without the other. When were you saved? When you repented? Yes. When you were baptized? Absolutely. When you were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost? You better believe it. But watch this. When you were repentant of your sins, when you were baptized in Jesus' name, buried with him in baptism, when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost, by grace you are saved. Look at your neighbor and say, that's it. Watch this. The moment God's grace saved me, I was instantly holy. I was instantly righteous. It's Romans. He says, he imputed unto us righteousness. When I had no righteousness, by grace he gave me righteousness. When I was dead in my sin and trespasses, instantly I was alive with him. Somebody needs to understand the power of this. You don't get holy. You were holy. You don't become holy. The moment you're, you were saved, by grace you are saved. I think sometimes we try to interject ourselves into God's process. And we start saying, well, I, I, I know you got the Holy Ghost, but listen, here's some stuff. Uh-uh. The moment you were saved, you were transported from dead to alive. Now, Here's what Dr. Norris would say. Dr. Norris would say that that's imputed holiness and it's because you are his. There was a moment at some point in that wedding where I became hers. It changed just like that. Now here's the thing. I'm his. I'm hers. But I had to start changing a few things. I wasn't single anymore. I couldn't just do things the way I'd always done them. I had to change. When you are saved, there are some things you do because you're his. When I got saved, I was saved as a child. It's a process. It takes some time. But when you're saved, when the Holy Ghost has come in you, when your sins have been washed away, it changes a few things in you. 
I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things are passed away. All things become new. I talked differently. There's some things because I'm his that causes me to rise a little higher than this world. I I don't do the same things I used to do. I, I don't speak the same way I used to speak. I don't dress the same way I used to dress. I, I don't talk the, the those jokes I used to talk. I don't watch the same things I watch because there is an understanding I am his and you start naturally rising above. This does not make me any more saved. It just means I'm learning to be more like him. This is not salvation. Salvation happened right there. This happens because I am his. So it is that sometimes we get sidetracked and we think the higher you climb on the ladder, the more saved you are. That is a heresy. Because if that's the case, that means I can be more saved than you are. And that denies the grace of God. The grace is for you and me and the one next to you. And what that means is you're saved right there. This is just simply me learning to be more like him. What happens though? When you're taking those steps, you're doing really good. And you fall. What do you do when everything's going right and somewhere you miss the rung and you fall down? And and in our mind, we start talking about, well, they're backsliding. And then if you're not careful, you get into another heresy and you say, well, they just lost their salvation. Listen to this preacher right now. There is no way in God's green earth that you could ever lose your salvation. I'll explain that in a minute, but listen to me for a moment. I don't care how high you climb up that ladder, but if you slip and fall, it's not that you lost your salvation, and let me explain it. 22 years ago, we got married. We had a honeymoon. It was wonderful. We went and lived in an awesome apartment, house-looking thing. We had very little bills, two full-time jobs. Life was awesome. And then about six months later, we bought a 34-foot travel trailer. And we loaded everything we owned into 34 foot of a travel trailer. And we started walking all across, or, or driving all across this country. That's when you realize how much you love. You can't slam an RV door. They're too light. Now, in this illustration and understanding, she's more like Christ than I am. Because there are moments in our marriage that I didn't measure up. Moments when, and and I know this is so hard for you to understand, those of you that know me, but but I used to be a clutterer. I used to just throw my stuff anywhere there was. And and I I used to, to just make messes everywhere and my wife is not that person. My wife is clean. My wife is orderly, and I am not. And there are moments in our marriage that I did not measure up. One day, I got really mad at her. She 
took all my stuff that was on the floor. And so I went and picked up all of her clutter. You know, like the picture that was here and the candles that were here. And I put them in a big pile on the floor. I will have to say this just because I want myself to look a little good. She did throw a hairbrush at me that day. I got to make sure we bring her back to, you deserved it. I got to bring it back a little bit, but, but, but watch this. I may, I'm trying to be humorous and funny. But when I didn't measure up to a covenant that she had made with me, she didn't throw me out of the house. She didn't say, well, I'm done with you. Get away. We're no longer married. That doesn't matter anymore. And that same covenant, if man can make those kind of covenants, how much more is God going to make a covenant that says, I know you were doing really good and you were climbing up a ladder, but somewhere you took a stumble. Somewhere you messed up. Somewhere you failed. He doesn't throw you away. Some prodigal, listen to me right now. Somebody that's struggling with a lot of condemnation, listen to your pastor right now. There is nothing you will ever do that will make God love you any less and so it is that you, you ask well, well brother Buford can you really learn or, or can you really lose your salvation let me tell you the only way you can lose your salvation you can lose your salvation the same way I could ever lose this marriage. If I ever completely invalidated the marriage vow. And I said, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be around you anymore. I found something else, someone else. And you can do that with God. You can turn your back on God 100%. You can curse God and cuss him out. You can say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm done with this. This was dumb. You can do that. But you better understand, he didn't kick you out. You left. When you're in the pig pen of despair... Don't blame the Father. He's right where you left him. It was you that turned your back. It was you that walked away. It was you that left him there. And there is a heavenly Father that's waiting there that's saying, it's all right. Come on home. I'll be right where you left me. I've got a fatted calf ready for you. But I'm telling you, he doesn't kick you out. Now, what do you do when you sin? What do you do when you fall off a couple rungs of the ladder? What do you do when your forward progress is stopped because you messed up? And I don't use that lightly. It's a sin. You sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, I'll tell you why. It's the same thing I do here. After a long night and probably not a lot of talking, I finally said, you know, i got to swallow my pride a little bit. 
because I'm planning on spending the rest of my life with her. And so I came back and I said, Brian, I'm sorry that I took all your stuff and threw it on the floor. I was wrong. If you're saved here today, you don't have to get rebaptized when you make a mistake. But you do have to repent. Because this is what repenting is. Let me show you. I'm doing so good. I'm, I'm walking up the ladder. I'm learning to be like him. And somewhere I get sidetracked. I chase the worldly butterflies and I lose track and I'm here. What is repentance? Repentance is you turn. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I, I was doing so good and I messed up. And the Lord says, I, I just, I hear that, that in, in my mind, I, I see Jesus kneeling down in front of a woman caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, I, I know they made a lot of mistakes and they should have brought the guy too. I get that. But that woman was not innocent. She was caught in the act of adultery. And I hear the words of Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want you to understand how great this grace is. That when you've slipped, he's not ready to kick you out of the house. In fact, he's doing the exact opposite. He's up there and he's got his hand reached down and he says, oh, you, okay, you, you, you repented. Here, here, ha let me help you back up. It's simple, I know, but it's profound. When you fail, you're not unsaved. You must repent and you must get back up to climbing. Here's the... Go read Hebrews. I'm, 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 I'm running out of time. Go read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Thank you, Sister You can do despite to the spirit of grace. I don't know that any of you are that place yet. This is how you do despite to the spirit of grace. I can climb and I can fall, and it doesn't matter what I do. God's going to love me, and he's going to be there. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Because the physical is, I can do anything I want to Sister Buford, and she doesn't care. She's going to love me. She's going to be there. She, she's not. No. It's a relationship. And so we aren't about cheap grace. We're not about easy grace. We're not that he's just a, a shower that you can turn on and he can wash your sins away. That's not what it's all about. But when you get the understanding that there is a God that loves you more than anybody else in this world, you begin to realize you are not unsaved when you make a mistake. You have just simply fallen down and it's time for you to do what Micah says to do. Rejoice not against me, oh my enemies, for when I fall I'll climb back up again grace grace God's grace repentance I've said it but let me just say it again for a moment you turn away and you turn around and you get up and you climb again I, as I begin to prepare for this sermon, I realize there's two completely different circumstances that I'm preaching to right now. 
I'm preaching to someone right now that you haven't yet experienced God's salvation. Maybe, and, and I, I've been pastor long enough, I've been a minister long enough, I have heard it all. I've heard, some, somebody came to me one time and said, Pastor, the Lord can't ever forgive me. I've, I've, I've sinned too big of sins. That's an element of pride right there. Because if you ever make that statement, God can't forgive me because I've sinned too great, what you're saying is, your sin is more powerful than God. But my favorite word says his blood is efficacious. There is no sin in God's great earth that his blood can't cover. There's no depth of hell that my God can't reach out and pull you out of that miry clay. It doesn't matter if you're six years old or you're 85 years old. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. And so if you're right here today and you've never experienced that salvation, you need to understand it only takes two things. One of them, God's already done his grace. The second is your faith. By faith, you are what that means is you got to get to the place where you believe Jesus died not just for mankind, but Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. See, sometimes we, and I've said this before, sometimes we'll say, I believe he can heal, I just don't think he can heal my disease. I've seen that. I've even faced that. I know he can provide, but man, I just don't know if he can provide for me. Sometimes we say, I know he can save everybody. I'm just not sure he could save me. But if you're right here, all you got to do is believe. That's why the Bible says, believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Why? Because if you believe, you'll do. He that believeth and is baptized, shall be saved. How do those things go together? Go back to Ephesians chapter 2, and it talks about the grace of God, and we are buried with him in baptism. But I'm also talking to another group of people. You've had some moments climbing the ladder. You're getting more and more like him. Change some things in your life. You've let the, the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, it will lead and guide you into all truth. And so that word comes alive to you. The more you read it with that Holy Ghost transformed mind, the more you see it. And you, you've done pretty good. You've made some changes. But somewhere in it, either and, and I hate to use the word by accident because you don't sin by accident. But sometimes that temptation just hits. And you weren't as strong as you thought you were. And you give in to that temptation. It's still a sin. And you slip down a few notches. Or sometimes you just simply willingly slip down a few notches. That devil comes with all of his condemnation and he starts pounding in your head. Jesus doesn't love you anymore. 
I can't believe you spit in his face. I can't. You were doing so good, and then you threw it all away. He's never going to love you again. That grace is a one-time ticket. You're not going to get another chance. I can't believe you. I'm here to rebuke the lie of the enemy right now and tell you the only thing you need to do tonight is repent of your sins and get back on that ladder. the end of time, there will be a moment when everything stops. Time, reality as you and I know it's going to stop. The second coming of Jesus Christ, there is a judgment that happens. The judgment will be judged on which way you were headed. Come here, uh, Harrison. Sense, Jack, come here. Stand on that bottom step. Stand on that bottom step. You'd think I'm way more spiritual, way more holy than Jack, right? I mean, look how high I am. But if at the end of time, my trajectory's doing this, and that trumpet sounds, doesn't matter how high I am. It matters where I'm facing. And at this moment when time stops, I'm headed in the wrong direction. And this might be a new convert might not have learned everything. He's still growing. But if he's facing the right way, I'll keep heading my trajectory and God will take him home. Grace. I want you to close your eyes right now. Father, I've tried to make this as simple as you've made it to me over these last three weeks. I can preach Acts 238 until it flows, but Lord, I have to get a fresh understanding of what it means. By grace, I'm saved. And Lord, I pray that I've presented it to this congregation that you've entrusted me with, with all truth, that I haven't twisted anything, that I haven't cheapened your grace in any way. But, Lord, we've got to have a fresh understanding of what grace is. And we've got to quit letting the enemy dictate our salvation. And, Lord, I'm praying for those who have yet to fully experience the incredible, matchless grace of Jesus. And I pray right now that they would begin to respond in faith. Lord, I believe. And Lord, that belief brings them to a place of repentance where they recognize I'm lost and I want your salvation. Where they recognize, Lord, I want my sins washed away and it's only by your grace and that water in Jesus' name they're done. And so Lord, I'm pulling for them. You're drawing them right now and I I ask that you would release 
a conviction in this place. Not condemnation, but a conviction in this place. But Lord, I'm also reaching for the one that's fallen. I'm reaching for the one that's not been traveling the way they've wanted to be traveling. But Lord, I come against the lies of the enemy that says it's over, it's done. God doesn't love you anymore. And I pray that you would let the love of Jesus, I ask that you would let them hear the same words that that that, that woman that was caught in the, in the act heard. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I pray for the prodigal right now. I pray for the one that's needs to turn around and get back on that ladder of God's holiness if you will because I am yours and let them begin to climb again as they were Lord I've preached your word now would you begin to speak into the lives of each and every one that's here right now I invite you to stand and I invite you to come and fill this altar if you want to sit where you are, if you want to kneel down where you are, but I'm inviting each and every person under the sound of my voice to respond to the grace of God.